Well, thank you very much. If I can just add to uh, Lawson's uh, welcome and thanks for uh, you coming along this afternoon, this morning, and this afternoon. It's great to, uh, great to have you here. Um, thanks again to the folks from Great Parks Chapel for hosting us, and uh, we're looking forward to, to having lunch together with you as well. As we were praying together in the, uh, in the back room, one of the things that uh, uh, one of the evangelists prayed for that was that the Lord would use today perhaps to stir in someone's heart a sense of calling to step out in faith, to step out and to serve the Lord. And um, uh, we're hoping to, uh, at Counties, to partner, for example, with Great Parks Chapel. We would love to see an evangelist established in partnership here to work in this part of South Devon, uh, based at the church here. So if, um, if that prayer is answered which we pray every morning at the county's office. We stop. It's supposed to be 10.02. Apparently, Luke 10, verse 2 says, Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into and send them into his harvest field. Um, the new boy, I just took on the role from John Wilkes uh, about 18, 19 months ago. I was sat at 10 o'clock waiting for the prayer time to start, and the other staff came up with a coffee about five or ten past. They said, it's, it's roughly 10.02, they said to me while I was... And I sat there. Okay, well, it's roughly 10.02. But we do stop and pray every day at the county's office for that specific thing, that God would raise up workers and send them out into his harvest field. I want us to um, uh, think uh, this morning and turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm going to read the whole chapter as we set the context for the day and we think about the brokenness of our nation, the brokenness of the world in which we live. Later on, we're going to hear some reports that are going to help set the, um, uh, a way in which we're responding to those needs. But uh, first of all, I want to look at Nehemiah 1. Um, I don't know if any of you watched Sport Relief last night. I, I, it's one of those things when um, children in need or Sport Relief or some of these campaigns come on, uh, there's this incredible amount of entertainment. Snow Patrol came on to sing last night before the 10 o'clock news. I like Snow Patrol, partly because they're from Bangor, which is where I grew up. And uh, one of my mates used to play for them in their band. So I, 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 they came on, but it... As they sang this song, it went into a video about the death of a little boy with malaria. And uh, it was a strange juxtaposition of entertainment and pulling on the heartstrings. I'm sure it's done deliberately that way. It makes it a difficult watch, doesn't it? It makes it, But that's done on purpose, to try and grab our heartstrings and get us to give uh, some money. I wonder if you suffer sometimes as... Um, I know I have done from um, a charity fatigue. You know, I just can't watch another broken story. I just can't cope with another dying child. And yet, God's heart breaks. And sometimes as Christians, I think we get out of step. I think for some of us, for example, I don't know whether this summer will be as uh, challenging or difficult for the refugee situation, those refugees traveling from North Africa and Syria. The, um, the war is on a different footing, certainly in Syria, but those boats of refugees traveling across the Mediterranean, the story that brought it home for us was that image of a little boy's body being carried up the beach. You remember the image? It was a story that had been in the news for a couple of years, 
but it was a moment in which our hearts were changed. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm reading from the NIV and uh, reading from verse uh, 1. I wonder if you could move the words for me uh, on the screen. So the words, if you haven't come with with the Bible, the words will also be on the screen. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, and my father's house have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. We know that God will bless his word to us. We can pretty accurately say when these things happened. In the story of Nehemiah, he dates it in certain years and months of certain kings. And we have the dates and uh, times of those kings. The year is 445 B.C. Nehemiah still serving in exile, though many of the exiles have now returned home to Israel, to Jerusalem. Uh, Nehemiah hears the news. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. I've got a question for you. You don't need to answer it out loud. How old was this news? How old was the news that the walls were broken? Can I tell you, if we went back in Scripture, the walls were destroyed in 586 BC. The news that Nehemiah is hearing is not new. The walls were destroyed and broken. Jerusalem was overthrown and overrun in 586. And now, 141 years later, hearing again that Jerusalem is still a mess physically, the people are broken morally, and they are not in a good place spiritually, Nehemiah, hearing old news, gets a new heart. He hears it through spiritual ears. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Let me take you back 141 years. 
Have you been moved lately by the events of 1877? I doubt it very much. Do you know for the only time in its history, the boat race between Oxford and Cambridge was declared a dead heat on this day in 1877? Wow, you say, I am moved. I mean, this is old news. On the 24th of April, the uh, Russo-Turkish War began because Russia declared war on the Ottoman Empire. October the 22nd in 1877, the Blantyre mining disaster in Scotland killed 207 people. I mean, there were no doubt that in Nehemiah's time, subsequent attempts had been made to rebuild the walls, but each of them had failed. Each return of the exiles had not been successful in restoring God's people, in renewing the opportunity even to worship. Although Ezra had returned earlier and rebuilt and restored the temple, temple worship was not functioning properly because the the city was insecure. The people were morally and socially bankrupt. I think we think about the United Kingdom today. Think about the area you've come from. Some are here from Devon, some from Cornwall, some from further afield. God cares about your time. God cares about the brokenness in our nation. The Lord cares about people. Today the Lord sees our cities, our towns, our villages. He sees the deprivation. He sees the brokenness. He sees the economic hardship. But he sees the spiritual lostness that's at the heart of it all. And he cares. I love that ending of Exodus chapter 2 that leads into the call of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It says at the end of Exodus 2 that the Lord saw the situation he heard their cries for help and he said to himself it's time to step in and save them and that's exactly what he repeats at the burning bush as he calls Moses I've seen I heard I care and I'm going to act when I joined uh, counties and was training um I had the privilege of staying with a number of evangelists, including some of those uh, who, are, who are here today. I, someone said to me, I see you've brought out the heavies. Um, I, I hope that wasn't a reference to the fact I've put weight on since I've taken a more office-based job. But um, uh, I, I spent some of my training time with um, Bob and uh, with Stephen Gill- Gillam, and I'm sure they both wonder how on earth I got this far. But... Um, uh, Thinking back to my training, one of the things that really struck me was uh, were a, a set of prayer days that I went to, and for a number of years I went back to them, that were um, run because of the friendship and the relationship between Ivor Powell and Peter Brandon, two men, the names of uh, whom I'm sure are known in this part of the world too, two men of prayer. And every January, they met together with a small group of evangelists and church leaders to pray. And they spent two days just praying. And the heart of their prayer was revival. The passion of their heart's cry was that God would move again in our broken nation. And I remember probably more than anything else that took place during those 18 months of training, those days spent with those men of prayer. 
And I look at our nation and I think, Lord, it hasn't come yet. It hasn't come. I know we talk about and we preach about or we should do. We should be thinking about the Lord's return. But I think the passion in the heart of those who love not just the Lord, but who want to love the lost, is that the Lord wouldn't come until some of those we know and love have come to him. Think of those relatives and friends, neighbors, work colleagues of yours who still are not saved, who are away from the Lord. You don't know where they stand spiritually. And perhaps in your own heart you're desperate that they would find their way to Christ. You pray that God would bring some Christians across their path. My wife just finished yesterday uh, working. She's just spent over a year working for a Christian agency, uh, working in family centers in Chippenham and North Wiltshire. Um, And uh, they're not all Christians who work in that agency. It was set up by Church of England. It's a social enterprise reaching out to broken families across Chippenham and uh, Cannes and uh, Melksham and other places. And she said to me this week, she said, "I, I haven't got sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. And I feel burdened about it. I've got praying with some in the office who are Christians, but I haven't got saying, and she was finishing on Friday because she's taking up a family worker role at Queensway Chapel, which we're very excited about. That's the church where the Lord has called us to be based. And Rachel's stepping out into a family worker outreach role with the church. But she said, those people in the office, I've not shared with them. She said to me on Friday, uh, Thursday uh, morning, as I was going down to the county's office, she said, can you bring some of your dying to meet you booklets um, back with you? I want to make a little survival pack for the 15 staff. And she was buying them a a chocolate Easter egg. Uh, There were all women in the office, so a face pack. Something I long for myself, I think I probably could do with one. And she wanted to put a little booklet. She wanted to put the Dying to Meet You booklet in it as well. I said, I'm bound to forget, love. Text me or email me. Um, And I'll do it. So she was working in the office. I got in at half past five. And uh, she said, I forgot to text you. And I said, I forgot the books. I said, we might have some. Because we still haven't fully unpacked. I said, we might have some in a box upstairs in 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 the study. And she went up and she came down with tears in her eyes and a smile on her face. And she said, 15 exactly. I said, love, it's a God thing. Make those survival packs up. And she was able to write a little card and say something for your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And uh, they were quite touched with it. They they might read it. I, I, I know giving a booklet is easier than saying something, but it's better than nothing. And the challenge for us is that that revival hasn't come. And those people you're burdened about sharing, you know, the Lord is burdened for those you don't know. He's burdened for those that you haven't got a burden for. He's burdened for those who live in the streets and villages around this part of South Devon that we haven't contacted, that because chapels and churches are closing, that we're no longer reaching, whose children no longer come to our Sunday schools and to our youth work. He's burdened for those people. That's how he feels about us and about this world. He sees his church somewhat sometimes dysfunctional and fractured. Christianity rejected in our nation by many is out of date. Sometimes he sees us living in comfort. I, again, have been challenged. I I moved from a frontline evangelistic work to 
something that is more office-based. I still, I hope, believe that I am an evangelist. I believe that what I'm doing is a calling, not a job. Um, and I, my passion is to get out of the office as much as I can, not because the office folks aren't lovely. They are fantastic. It's actually been a joy to me to discover how much I've enjoyed working in the office with the team. But equally, I want to get out and just get on with the work that God's called us, us to do. Not counties. It's the work of the church. And actually, that's part of the passion that we want to share today. The work of evangelism is the work of the church. It's not the work of an agency or an organization or a mission. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, counties administers the fund of uh, a little, well, it wasn't such a little mission agency. If I mentioned it, many of you would know of it. But it was a mission agency that 10 or 15 years ago had as much, in fact, more money in the bank than counties has it in the bank today. It had a number of workers across the United Kingdom. It supported evangelists and evangelism. And now today, that mission is a little fund of £16,000 that counties administers and gives £1,000 out here and there to support mission. Jesus didn't say, I have come to build counties and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The effect of counties is only as good as its relationship and commitment and partnership with the local church to equip us to do the work God has called us to do. The Lord sees the church sometimes living in comfort. And I was going to say when I moved down to um, Wiltshire and took on this role, uh, one of the things we find is we, we... Joined a local fellowship, um, but I wasn't involved in leadership. I wasn't, we weren't involved in all the groups. And all of a sudden, I got evenings back, which was wonderful, except I just watched telly and ate stuff. And um, I, I don't know how it's happened, but in the 18 months we've been there, I'm not taking on the role of chairing the leadership team in the local church uh, it happened it, it happened quite by accident. I, I think there was a devious plan behind the scenes somewhere. Um, I said I would agree to join the leadership team for a year, and then two guys who also had been asked came up to me and said, it's brilliant you're on the leadership team. We've agreed to join it because uh, you've said you'll lead it. And uh, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but it, it made me realize as we started getting involved in the life of the church outside of the role I've got with counties about how comfortable I became in a short period of time about how, how easy it is to do nothing about how easy it is to be relatively unaffected by the brokenness of the world Jesus said for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink I was a stranger and you did not invite me in I needed clothes and you did not clothe me I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. You see, the Lord cares about this community in which you live, this place where Great Parks Chapel is placed, where your local church is. He loves your town. He loves the people of your village. He loves the city in which you live. And he loves the local church, and he's called the church to be a light upon a hill. And he's called the church to be the means of bringing the gospel to those who don't know him. You see, what we need, perhaps today, is not new news. I, I guess, from myself and Bob and the participants who shared today, you 
almost certainly probably won't hear anything brand new. The church's need is not for brand new, other than a new heart for what the Lord is passionate about. Jesus wept, of course, over Jerusalem. In Luke 13, we read, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather you, your children, together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, can I say sensitively, I I grew up in a brethren assembly, in a very conservative brethren assembly in Northern Ireland. And I guess many of us here are from a brethren assembly background or in fellowship in in, uh, a local church of of that background and and rooted from the brethren movement. Um, And I know that there were many precious things, and, and I was brought up to believe that the local assembly was the only way in which we were called to meet, gathered out onto the name of the Lord. I don't decry or undermine any of those things. But honestly, if you look at the history of the church, and I mean the wider church, the Lord is not honor bound to do his work just through us. He's not honor bound to do his work just through us. The Lord will move by his spirit and raise up men and women and raise up a new movement, and raise up a new army. And the challenge for us is to be in tune and keep in step with His Spirit, so that we might be refreshed and renewed, so that those times of refreshing will come from the Lord, so that our churches might be encouraged and restored and built up. The Lord loves this nation. He loves His church, and He wants the local church to be the instrument of change and transformation and rebuilding, and the work needs to begin with us, but at the very beginning of the journey in the book of Nehemiah, and I, um, I, I have to remind myself, I'm a follower of Christ, not a follower of Nehemiah. Those who know me, I talk about Nehemiah a lot, but I find such clear principles about renewal and restoration and leadership and organisation that I think are pictures for the church in this fantastic book. But it begins through the brokenness of a leader. Not through the rising up of a leader, the brokenness of a leader. Just as it does with Moses, rejected by his people. He believed, I think, that he was the man to lead God's people. But for 40 years, he suffered rejection and looked after sheep in the backside of the desert. The Apostle Paul, pleading for God to remove his thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan. The wonder is that he only asked three times and he accepted God's wisdom on it. How often we ask God to change something in our circumstances and he doesn't because he's allowed a brokenness to become the root of blessing in and through our lives. The restoration of Peter, of course, who denied the Lord, but perhaps in that denial three times and in the three times answering of the question, Peter, do you love me? He saw the heart of the gospel message that he was called to preach. God loves lost people and leaders are broken too god often takes us through a time of brokenness and just in the um uh, 15 or 20 minutes i have uh, remaining i just want to point out four things that um, that we need if we're going to respond to the both the needs and the opportunities that the lord gives us the lord of course wants us to be open he wants us to be open he is speaking 
He will lead, he will guide and provide. But in Nehemiah, here in chapter 1, we find four areas of openness. An open mind, open eyes and ears, an open heart, and open hands. First of all, an open mind. Um, They say, you've heard the phrase, curiosity killed the cat. Uh, If you're not a cat lover, that probably doesn't bother you in the slightest. Um, uh, But... uh, Curiosity killed the cat is one of those phrases like children should be seen and not heard. And by the way, that's, I don't believe that to be true, so it's absolutely fine. Um, it's one of those phrases that adults make up when they don't want people interfering or sticking their nose in. Curiosity killed the cat, which would lead you to believe curiosity is bad. That would lead you to believe that children shouldn't be children. Children should be seen and not heard. It was curiosity that led to Nehemiah having his heart broken because he asked questions. He had an open mind. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, sometimes when we're in conversation, when we're sharing fellowship with one another, and I'm speaking from experience, so I'm not pointing the finger at anyone else, we're so keen to say our next sentence in the conversation that we do not listen to what someone has said. We ask a question, but we're not prepared to listen to the response because we've got something really interesting to say and we want to be heard. But Nehemiah asked and then listened. Tell me about Jerusalem. In the film Amazing Grace, about the story of William Wilberforce and the, um, uh, the rescinding or the abolition of the, uh, ab- uh, of the slave trade, John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, by which the movie takes his name, is um, seen uh, talking to Wilberforce. And they were friends. That's based on some uh, reality. Uh, Newton was a pastor to Wilberforce and an influence upon his life. And in the movie, John uh, Newton turns to Wilberforce and he says, 20,000 ghosts. They all had names, beautiful African names, but we simply called them with grunts. Later on, we see Wilberforce, whose bill brought an end to the slave trade, waking with nightmares of his own as he confesses to some of his friends in the higher circles of society, I eat, sleep, and breathe slavery. That's a passion, isn't it? That's a passion. May God give us an open, inquisitive, curious mind. What are the needs of the community in which we live? How do people act? How are they thinking? I think sometimes in the church we're, we're guilty. Again, I speak from my own experience, but we become guilty of judging people by moral standards when actually we're called to preach the gospel to them. And the danger is sometimes we get on a bandwagon. I, I, I have done RE lessons uh, about 
pro-life, anti-abortion lessons. I really believe passionately in that. I am passionate about it. I am passionate about the rights. It was International Down's Syndrome Day the other day. We had a lovely lad in the church at Challenge in Hereford. Um, He's now 19. His mum died after a battle of cancer just Friday week ago. The church are really rattled by it, not just because she died, but her husband, the father of the three children, the youngest of whom is 17, um, has been given a year to live with a battle with cancer as well. I think of their son James and I think of parents of Don's children and the joy and the passion of those children and the amazing gift that they bring. And I think of abortion and I think, what a horrific thing. But then I realize sometimes if I talk about abortion in a certain way in a congregation or to unconverted people, I'm in danger of moralizing when actually people are broken and need the love of Christ. So I see, I'm not saying that It's wrong to talk about those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't be passionate about those things. But I talked to one or two of our evangelists just after I took on the role of um, CEO at at Counties. And it's not one or two joke, you know, know, you're the boss. Not, Not the boss at all. The evangelists look to the Lord for their leading and their guidance. We try to do things together in fellowship and encourage and support one another. And it very much is a fellowship, a family of evangelists. But, um... But I'm not the boss. But not, not long after I took the role, 1st of June 2016, was the Brexit referendum. And some of our evangelists put some stuff on Facebook that I, I did when I saw them or when I, I picked up the phone. I said, why did you put that on there? And I don't like talking to people like that. But if they'd been in our church and were connected with the church I was in in Hereford, I would have said the same thing. What you put that on there for? It's a barrier to the gospel. I have a very strong view and opinion about Brexit. But if it becomes a barrier to telling people about Jesus, I need to get my mind on the main thing again. And the main thing is that we might make Christ known. And Nehemiah gets his heart broken by God by asking curious and open questions. Do you know the word Nehemiah? The name Nehemiah means the Lord comforts. It's good, isn't it? Nehemiah means the Lord comforts. Someone has said that the work of the Holy Spirit is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. I don't know which category you're in today, but I'm sure that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us and maybe it's to disturb us from our comfort. I'm conscious that a self-selecting group like this who have booked to come to a day like this uh, represent those who are interested, are keen in evangelism. But may the Lord break the hearts of our, of our churches. May he break our people as we open our minds to the world around us and the needs of the world in which we live. And that led to Nehemiah having open eyes and ears. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Um, C.S. Lewis confronted the temptation to give in to lethargy and cynicism when he preached at the University Church of St. Mary the Virgin in Oxford on October the 22nd, 1939. Now, those familiar with dates will know that was after the declaration of uh, the outbreak of the Second World War. 
Less than two months earlier, Hitler had invaded Poland and Britain was about to face the horrible Nazi onslaught. And this is what Lewis told the assembled students that day. It may seem odd for us to carry on classes, to go about our academic routine in the midst of a great war. What is the use of beginning when there's so little chance of finishing? How can we study Latin, geography, algebra at a time like this? Aren't we just fiddling while Rome burns? This impending war has taught us some important things. Life is short. The world is fragile. All of us are vulnerable. But we are here because this is our calling. Our lives are rooted not only in time but also in eternity and in the life of learning. Humbly offered to God is its own reward. It is one of the appointed approaches to the divine reality and the divine beauty which we shall hereafter enjoy in heaven and which we are called to display even now amidst the brokenness all around us. He says, this is our calling too, uh, writes, a, writes an author quoting that. Amidst the brokenness around us, we are to be faithful to God's calling, to bear witness to his beauty, to the light and the divine reality that we shall forever enjoy in heaven. We are to do this in a culture that seems at times, like St. Augustine said, a crumbling world beset by dangers we cannot predict. We live in an ever-changing, quickly-breaking world. All the more reason, brothers and sisters, to recommit ourselves to the gospel of Jesus. To say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. A world is going to hell. Cities are in crisis. Nations are on the brink. And God cares. And the question is, do I? So Nehemiah didn't just ask intelligent, simple questions. But he had the courtesy to listen to the answers. And we must do the same. But Nehemiah didn't just have an open mind, open eyes and ears. But Nehemiah also had an open heart. Verse 4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Maybe we are, as I suggested earlier, suffering at times from compassion fatigue. I remember at school, um, my younger brother uh, had a friend at school called Jason Barlow. Jason Barlow became a TV presenter for the uh, Top Gear show in its older uh, format before Jeremy Clarkson and the, the group took it on. He was a motoring journalist, was the editor of Top Gear magazine and other car magazines too. But at school, he was just my brother's mate called Jason. And I remember running around the primary school playing yard um, uh, kicking the football around. And one of my friends kicked the football. This class, my brother's class, were three years younger than me. And the ball went shooting across as the toddlers, well, they weren't toddlers, but four- and five-year-olds, including my brother and Jason, ran straight across. And the ball smacked Jason right between the eyes. And he wore those old, do you remember them, national health glasses that had more tape than plastic and glass, you know? His glasses were already all taped up, but the ball smacked him straight between the eyes. And his glasses absolutely shattered into pieces. Now, I expect he was hurt and shocked, but probably more concerned about what mum and dad might say about his broken glasses. And he immediately crumpled to the floor and started hunting, and he was very short-sighted, started hunting on the ground for his glasses. And I saw the whole thing happen, and I ran towards him, and I, I guess I was a typical boy in the sense that I don't know why I noticed it. 
Not only do I not know why I noticed it, but I wondered for years why I remembered it. And perhaps I remember it just because it illustrates something. Because I ran over to him and I got down on my hands and knees beside him and I started to help him pick up the fractured pieces of his glasses. And he was crying his eyes. I was only five years old. I was about eight. And I, I started to cry as well. I mean, in fact, I couldn't see the bits of glass because I was just weeping on my hands and knees next to Jason crying. That memory came back to me some years ago as I reflected about what it takes to reach people for Christ. It takes seeing their brokenness. And then on our hands and knees, getting beside them. And helping them to pick up the pieces as we weep with them. I was a much better comforter and counselor then than I am now. Now I'm given to too many words. Then, I just knelt and cried. Folks, that's what our broken world needs and longs for. And I hope today we're going to be encouraged as we hear about those who physically, literally, or symbolically are kneeling with broken, lost people and helping them begin to pick up the pieces. And in that broken place, God will allow us the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. I I don't often, although I think all evangelists do it, I don't often try to steal other evangelist illustrations. But this week I had the privilege of um, uh, hearing Victor Jack preach. He spoke at the Church Planters uh, Away Day Church uh, CPI Forum. And uh, he told a story that I'd never heard him tell before. And I I, I share it with you if you've heard it. And it it certainly come better from from Victor than from me. But Victor is one of those evangelists also that I esteem. Uh, A man who's now 80 and who is as passionate and active in evangelism as perhaps in many ways he has ever been. Suffering with all the ailments and challenges of getting older too. But he told the story of when he was young and he got converted, of how he wanted to tell people about Christ. And uh, he just couldn't bring himself to do it. He was brought up on a farm. They had lots of workers come and go. He wasn't able to do it. He was called up for national service. He was of that generation. Uh, He said the first night in the billet, in the barracks, he put his Bible by his bedside. And there was a lot of um, coarse language and blue jokes going on in the barracks. He said, I walked to my bed and I knelt by my bedside and it all stopped. And I was praying just quietly there. And then after I got back into bed, he said uh, that the the jokes and the coarseness stopped. But nobody ever picked on me. But I, I asked that the Lord would use my example to open an opportunity to talk about Jesus. He he said, we fought terrorists in the mountains of Cyprus. And imagine Victor Jack fighting terrorists in the mountains of Cyprus. You'll learn something new. It's a fantastic image. He said, but nobody asked me about God. Nobody asked me to speak about it. When I came back from national service, he told us, he was carrying some uh, cattle feed uh, across a a wet uh, shed. And he ended up doing the splits and was taken into hospital and had uh, an operation on a hernia. And in the bed next to him was a man that he, he put his Bible by the bedside, did Victor, and he prayed, Lord, give me an opportunity to talk to this man. The man never asked and Victor never said. A few weeks later, after he got out of hospital, he saw the wife of the man he'd been next to in hospital. And he asked uh, the lady, how's your husband? 
She broke down and she said, this is my first time coming out of the house since he died. Victor, he took a turn for the worse. And he passed away. Victor said it was the least I could do to get out of her presence as quickly as I could and get into the front seat of the cab. I was in town in Ipswich to collect cattle and bring them back to the farm. And I wept. And I wept. God, why didn't I say something? He said, Lord, I'm going to take the bull by the horns. Not literally. I'm going to do this. And uh, driving back from his fiancé's house uh, later on that week, there was a guy thumbing a lift along the roadside. And Victor said, I pulled in and I picked him up. I said, this is it, Lord. He said, I wish I hadn't picked him up because he stank to the high heavens of alcohol and body odor. But he unpacked his story. He was a well-off man whose wife had died suddenly and couldn't face going home. He had a house, but his wife's stuff was there. Her clothes were there. He couldn't deal with it. He was broken, living under the hedges, surviving on alcohol and handouts. And Victor said tentatively to him, you know, I think God can heal your heart. The man opened up and asked why, and as they drove along the road just on the way into Ipswich, the man said, I I think I'd like to ask Jesus into my life too. And Victor said, we pulled into a lay-by. I prayed, he prayed, he received Christ, and God gave me the strength from that place to become an evangelist. But you see, folks, it came from a place of brokenness. It came from a place of inability. We need an open heart that will allow God to break us as we kneel with those who are broken. And then as we step out with our open mind, open eyes and ears, open hearts, and we act with open hands. From the moment of Nehemiah's uh, revelation of God's calling on his life and the brokenness of the people of Jerusalem, um, he goes into a time of prayer and fasting, and during that time he makes a decision. I've got to do this. You know, when God puts a burden on your heart, he will often call you to be the means by which he has that need met. In Luke chapter 10, when the disciples are told to pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, immediately he sends out the 72. They are amongst that group. He sends them out. And Nehemiah has a burden. Reminds me of the man who went to John Wimber and said, I'm fed up. Um, why, why, said Wimber, why are you fed up? He said, well, I met a homeless guy and um, I, I took pity on him and I invited him into my home and I fed him and I clothed him and he stayed with me for a few nights and I managed to get him into a, into a hostel and um, I'm fed up. And John Wimber said, why? He said, because the church should do something about this. And Wimber just looked at him and said, it, it sounds to me like the church did. I mean, it's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to act. Oh, Lord, he prayed. Oh, Lord. He confessed his sins and the sins of the people. And in those four months, Nehemiah came to know God. He experienced the depth of God's broken heart. And he knew that his hands now open in prayer would have work to do. Folks, we need to pray. We need to humble ourselves. We need to kneel with those who are broken and help them pick up the pieces and God will open the door and give us the boldness to tell them about Jesus. Keith Green, who died suddenly in a plane accident, wrote some wonderful Christian songs, not the least of which is this. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, 
My heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Lord, soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me in you with the wine of your love. Let's pray. Father, we just simply want to say thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this transforming, life-changing, eternity-transforming message. Lord, our destiny is changed because of not what we do, but because of what Christ has done. We thank you that your word says, For God so loved the world. And so, Lord, the broken people we know and those around us that we don't yet know are loved by you. This gospel is for them, not just for us. Lord, deepen our sense of compassion. Move us with the heart of the Good Shepherd so that we too would be prepared to lay down our lives for the sheep. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through the remainder of this day, that we would hear your voice be encouraged, challenged, and changed. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, Jonathan.